Praise God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Praise God. That's an awesome promise. Both of those are awesome promises. Praise God. Why don't we pray before, before I get started? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you have your way today. Lord, give me the ability, Lord, let your anointing flow through me today, God, as your word comes forth. Lord, let those in this, in this audience receive the word today. Lord, let it be a word fitly spoken for somebody in this house. And Lord, let it be a word fitly spoken for all of us today, God. Lord, let us be sensitive to your spirit. Let us be sensitive, God, to what you have in this place today, Lord. And let your word permeate our mind and our spirit. Let no hindrances be in the way of what you have to say today, Lord. In Jesus' name, praise God. You may be seated. Praise God. What, what is my purpose? That's a question often pondered by all of us in our lives. I remember being 18 years old, just about to graduate high school. Uh, in high school, we had to do these things called senior panels, where we'd have to do a presentation. And, and uh, as I was writing up my, uh, my paper for my presentation, that question just kind of reverberated in my mind for, for weeks. And then my panel came, I did my panel, I passed it. And then the question still stayed there. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? I thought maybe I'd go to college. Um, I did go to college. Um, I wanted to become an audio engineer. I thought I could just make it big and record music for the rest of my life. <laughs> but little did I know I would have one experience with Jesus that would change my life forever. Praise God. Is anybody grateful for what God has done in their lives? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Excuse me, I have a, one of those annoying coughs that won't stop. And uh, you hear me make some weird noises. I apologize. And I do have a cough drop, and uh, if I tend to move it around in my mouth and you happen to hear it, I apologize as well. <laughs> Praise God. So, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> after, after I finished my senior panel, um, and after I met Jesus for the first time, after my conversion, I began to see the change in my life emitting 
through the infatuation that I had for my love for Jesus. And change happened very quickly in my life. It doesn't happen in everybody's life like that. But I've never felt so happy and so empowered to do something in my life, not for myself, but for God this time. It was different when I met Jesus this time. Back in uh, middle school, it would be, uh, none of it made sense to me. I just didn't have a single clue. I didn't know who God was, of, of what God was. But after God touched me, that's when it was different. I, I was trying before, but it wasn't through the avenues that God, God's will would be uh, persisted in upon the time that he was at the door knocking. It was different when God knocks on your door rather than when we try to, you know, just, it's good going to church, it's good doing those things, but real conviction is what changes a person. Real, uh, a, a real experience with God is what changes somebody. And after I experienced that, I've never been so happy in my whole life. Never felt so empowered to do something in my life. But it wasn't for me, but it was for God this time. And I finally felt like I had a purpose and something to do. But I experienced something interesting is that infatuation that I had for Jesus left. I wasn't so sure what I was doing for him. I felt almost as I could never get the feeling of, of being on cloud nine in the Holy Ghost again and, and feeling fire in my bones that I could do anything for God. But once that feeling of infatuation left, I began to realize my relationship with Jesus can't be based off my emotions. And the way that I respond to the situations in my life can't be based upon my, my emotions. It can't be based on if I feel Holy Ghost goosebumps or not. So, as I'm sitting here years ago, asking myself that very question that I asked myself sitting at my senior panel in high school, but this time I was living for God. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I had the Holy Ghost. Today I want to speak on this topic the witness and the, the will of God. Praise God. These two phrases, they kind of work hand in hand together as, as we begin to serve God in this life, we experience some trials. Come on. Has somebody been, been baptized recently, re- received the Holy Ghost recently, and, and you go through all these, these, these struggles, all these trials and troubles that come your way, and you're like, well, where'd this come from? Well, what's going on? What, what, what's happening? I thought this was supposed to be unicorns, rainbows, and, and, and cherry sundaes. <clears throat> I was in the same place, folks. I'm, I, I want to be transparent with, with everybody today. But by the, the, by the help of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, I want to edify the body today. By expressing our role in our relationship with Jesus and fulfilling the will of God in our lives. The will of God is important. The will of God is important. When we allow ourselves to feel, fulfill the will of God, for me personally, I would say that is the most satisfactory experience with God other than the beginning of, of my conversion that I've ever experienced. Going back to my experience, that infatuation 
often can get us in trouble. I'm just being honest, folks. It's much like being in your first real relationship with somebody. You feel so excited because you're in love with the idea of being in love and everything's unicorns and rainbows and cherry sundays and then you want to get married and live happily ever after. Does that happen? Sometimes, yeah, but most of the time, no. It doesn't really happen very much. But relationships, especially marriage, are a real test of the very foundation of that relationship. What's the foundation of that relationship? Is it infatuation or is it real love? Is it agape love or is it just infatuation? Marriages based off infatuation only last so long, and statistics show that today, 70% of marriages end in divorce today. That's wild. It's sad. Let me tell you this. Being infatuated with Jesus is absolutely okay. But there is going to come a point in our relationship with him, much like the likes of marriage or relationship where the infatuation leaves And that's when we're stuck. What do I do next? Where do I go? Am I going to love him with this uh, sacrificial love that I give up my life for him because he gave his life for me? Our agape love for Christ has to be the cornerstone of our relationship. Just like with our our, our marriage with our spouse. The sacrificial love is what makes it last. Infatuations, and it's great. It's important. It's, it's okay to, to love your wife or to love your husband. And it's okay to love Jesus. But there's going to be a day when that leaves. There's going to be a day when, when, when life's not about the, the feeling goods and, and the goosebumps and, and, and the little things. But there's a much bigger picture. There's a much bigger picture. God gives us an expected end. That's the difference. And that's the driving force of our faith that sustains us as we live and as we walk this Christian life. But our emotions and our happiness do not sustain us. What does is our love, true love, agape love. We see newlyweds, they're all about cute little things. Everything's perfect until the first argument comes. I've been there. Who else has been there? (laughs) Or the first thing that comes up in the relationships, it seems like it's just trying to drive a wedge between us, and, and I don't know what to do anymore. But our relationship with God is so similar. We're infatuated with the idea of living for God. We're moved by how good we feel. But when... When the trial comes the first time, when the first opportunity to sin comes, what do we do? We fail. I've been there before. Come on. But what we do after that is what's important. Romans says, um, do we keep sinning that the grace of God may abound? It says, God forbid that. But we have an advocate, folks. <clears throat> Much like our marriage, we have to communicate with our spouse. We have to talk with Jesus, and we have to establish a real relationship with him. What does this have to do with the will of God? What does this have to, be, uh, what does this have to do with being a witness? 
It's a relationship. This isn't, it's not a religion. It's, this is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a real relationship. I've never had a relationship like the one I have with him. And when we allow ourselves to become, to step down, you know, we can be so, <coughs> we can so, be so held up by our own pride and, and by our own selves that we don't allow God to be God. We just, we allow him to be little G and, and us to be big G. When in reality, that's not, that is not the case. God calls us, God calls us to live for him at the cost that he died for us on a cross. And that's the very thing in the basis of our faith that there's going to be some day when we get to see eternity. There's going to be a day, and that's the whole reason why we're here. Come on, folks. Is that the whole reason we're here? Jesus died for you as a perfect sacrifice on a cross 2,000 years ago for us to be a witness and an example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God calls us all to do two things. He calls us to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. Everybody's called to do that. It's not a pulpit ministry most of the time. But he's called you to be a witness of what he's done for you. We look at that word witness in the Greek. It's pretty interesting. It's talking about how witness means, uh, it's almost like a, a judicial value that we can express what has been done for us in our lives at the end. Talking about judicially. So there's going to be a day when we're judged by God and we're going to have to utter the things that we've done in our lives to him. So if we look at the difference between Acts, this is pretty interesting right here. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And Luke 24.46-49 says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus behoved Christ to suffer and to rise dead from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. That witness there in Acts 1.8 and Luke 24 is the same word. But it's expressing the judicial value of what we have witnessed. Not that we've literally witnessed it with our own eyes, but that we are witnesses of it in our life. That's beautiful. But when we see uh, Revelation, when it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, that testimony there is the same word for witness, but it's not this same word saying figuratively, but that we have seen it for ourselves. That's beautiful. That's what being a witness of the gospel is. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're commissioned. That is a great commission right there in Luke. 
And what enables you to fulfill the Great Commission? Acts 1.8 does. That we will receive power to be witnesses to everybody. Amen? Amen. Number two, we're called to make disciples. <coughs> Everybody's called to make disciples. Now, how, how do we make disciples if we don't have a power to witness? How do we make disciples if we are not fulfilling the very thing that God's told us to fulfill in the first place? Amen. Once we receive the Holy Ghost, we have the power to be a witness. <clears throat> and that's expressed that we receive power. It's not that we already had power to do so, but we receive it. It says, not by my might or my power am I able to begin or do any work of, for, for the kingdom of God. But only by God and his power and by his spirit are we able to be true witnesses of this. That's the only way. But what are we a witness of? Figuratively, this is a witness figuratively, not literally, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus not only gave us power to be a witness, but he gave us a witness upon what he has given us the ability to fulfill in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and what's the reason why Jesus came? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. 2 Peter 3.9 says, For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's awesome. Not only did he send himself to do the work, he did it himself as an example unto how we're supposed to do it. John 20, 21 says, Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. <coughs> God is sending us, folks. Jesus loves us so much. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. As God manifested in the flesh, not only had to commission himself to seek and save those which are lost, but he commits he commissions us to do the same work. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's awesome. To wit... <coughs> That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful verse with a lot of good stuff in it. 
reconciling is pretty much uh, reinstating, reinstating our, our relationship. Like, <coughs> I'm sorry, folks. Reconciling is 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 reconnecting the the relationship back together. You know, we we might offend somebody, and we have to go back and reconcile the situation. So hear how powerful this is. That all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He gives us the same ability to reconcile as he did with us, with other people, for them to be reconciled back to Christ. That is so powerful that God would give us the ability through the power and through the Holy Ghost <coughs> to be able to truly change people, to truly reconcile people back unto God when their relationship with him was severed in the first place. Without Jesus' sacrifice, there would be no reconciliation. It'd be impossible. There was only one crew, one clan that was going to be saved, and that's Israel. <coughs> but God calls each and every one of us to reach this lost and dying world. God calls each and every one of us to reach those, but not only to do that, but to fulfill the will of God in our lives. Let me tell you this, the, pulp, the, the will of God is not always going to be pulpit ministry or youth ministry or, or just even missionary work. Sometimes the will of God is, is simple to us in our sight, but in his sights, we're reconciling the world around us unto him by, by having a Bible study <coughs> and opening it up to our neighborhood. Maybe it's getting a different job that's retail where you come in contact with a lot of people. Maybe it's construction, showing your good work with your hands, giving testimony of what God has not only given you in talent, but in which we may give a good report through the work that we complete. Sometimes the will of God for our life may just be seeking him and drawing closer to him at a time. But there will be a season where God is going to call you to seek and save those which are lost. I'm grateful for that. I don't deserve it. <coughs> I don't deserve any power. I don't deserve the, the ministry of reconciliation. I don't, I don't deserve any of that. But God in his righteousness says, son, I want to cover you with my righteousness and I want to make you holy. I want to give you the power to reach people. I want to give you the ability to reach people. But not only that, God commissions us to do that. Every single one of us. <coughs> it's, not just, it's not just the pulpit ministry. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the youth pastor. It's everybody is called to seek and save that which is lost. In pursuing the will of God, our lives change. God changes us. But the, most, the change that happens the most 
is when we realize that we have to change. Repentance is, is putting our, <coughs> our will behind us, but there has to be a different change. We can, we can ask for forgiveness, but there has to be sanctification. There has to be. There has to be some kind of sanctification. Where our lives change, that something is what enables us to fulfill the will of God. Allowing the work which God has worked in us to flow outward through the process of sanctification is the difference. The Bible dictionary for sanctification is a state of proper functioning. The Greek translation is holiness. People don't like that word. But let me tell you, folks, you got to be sanctified. You have to. <clears throat> it's the will of God that you be sanctified and be holy. That is the will of God. See, what does the scripture say? Be ye holy because I am holy. How do we obtain this? How do we, how do we obtain holiness? Or how do we become the state of proper functioning? How do we do that? Holiness is not something that starts on the outside, folks. You can put on a skirt. You can cut your hair, shave, whatever. <coughs> Sanctification is a process that starts in your heart. It's a process that starts in your mind. But not only is this a process that starts from the inside out, but it's a process. Sanctification is a process, and it takes time. You're not just going to be holy because you, you put on a skirt or cut your hair. That's just a start. That's okay. That's fine. Well, what does it mean to you? What's the purpose of it? Modesty is a form of holiness that we can see with our eyeballs. But sanctification it expels from us just like oil. When you crush an olive, it expels oil. And there's going to be times in our life <coughs> where the oil is going to be expressed. And is there going to be fruit of the Spirit coming out? Or is it our old man, that nasty, the, the gross oil, the used oil? 1 Peter 1, 22-25, this, this scripture expresses us <coughs> as we come into this world into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not of this world, folks. This is, this is something different. This is a new experience. If you're not a part of the kingdom of God, heed unto my words that God has a plan for you. He says that he died 2,000 years ago with you in mind, folks. He died with me in mind. He died with you in mind. But that's how he would allow those. He says that he wouldn't have it that anybody would perish. But since he died for everybody, that gives him an excuse to allow the people who do not decide to follow him to perish. And that's the difference. But we, as people of God, have to make the decision to continually delve ourselves into the process of sanctification 
Sanctification is a process, and it takes time. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says, <coughs> Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withereth, <coughs> and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is good. Praise God. Sanctification is not just becoming holy. It is getting rid of you. It is getting rid of your flesh. It is getting the rid of, it's getting rid of pride. It's getting rid of the glory of yourself. <coughs> as this expresses here, all flesh is as grass. And grass dies every year, multiple times. And that's the very same thing with God, is we have to die multiple times to our own self and our own will and our own plan in order for the, even the process of sanctification to start. That's just the beginning. But I get to do it. It's not because I, I, I have to do it. It's because I get to. I live this life because I get to. I live this life because I understand <coughs> the sacrifice our Creator has done for me. That's why I live this life. Ephesians 5, 1 through 18 says, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication... And all uncleanliness and or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, or unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath an, any inheritance for the kingdom of God. And with Christ, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. <coughs> Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light of the world, or the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving that which is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 
For it is a shame even to speak those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. <coughs> For whosoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, and not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Sanctification has to take place and is the will of God. Crucifying our flesh and walking in the Spirit is the only way in which we are able to prove or even express what the will of God is for our lives. <coughs> we have to die to our will for the will of God to be established. It's not easy. But that's why it takes time. He loves us so much that he gives us an advocate. He gives us a way out of our mess-ups. There's going to be a day when you're going to have to express why you kept messing up over and over. Because where does it say that would grace may abound if you just keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning? What do we do? The scripture says we take him to the cross every single time that we do that. On purpose. On purpose. But crucifying our flesh <coughs> and having the mind of God in our spirit is so important. The last part of the scripture in Ephesians 5.18 says, And be ye not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. You know, alcohol can overtake your mind. Alcohol can overtake you and control you. <clears throat> in the very much same way that the Spirit of God controls us. In the very much way that the Spirit of God controls our mind. What Paul's expressing here is that we can't let anything, not even our own will, take the place of the Spirit. And that's why we have to be filled with it and walk in it and understand, folks, we get to crucify our flesh. We get to walk in the Spirit. And this is the only way to live. This is the only way to live for God. I want to take our attention to Luke 22, 31 through 34. <clears throat> and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto them, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, but before thou thrice deny that thou knowest me. God knew that Peter was going to do that. Was it in the will of God? Nope. Peter was submitted unto Jesus to the best of his ability and his knowledge. But when we serve God through our own power or our own will, we're only able to go so far. 
even so much we could be in the same, the same, very same shoes as Peter. I've been there. I'm just being honest. Saying that he won't deny the Lord, knowing that Peter was going to deny him. <laughs> God knew that Peter was going to deny him. But with Peter's own power, he couldn't even stand before the simplest of folks claiming that he was one of his followers. He denied it just for the very fact that he would have been shamed for the cause of Christ. But much like Peter, God is merciful to us in like manner. We have to go through things and we have to experience things, not only for the reason that, you know, sometimes God wants us to learn the hard way. I've been there. God teaches me the hard way a lot. <coughs> Why is that? I'm stubborn. Peter was stubborn, just like me. But when God lets us learn the hard way, we have an even greater witness for the sake of fulfilling the will of God. Peter, out of the will of God, wasn't even, even able to say he knew Jesus, but in the will of God opened the door to the Gentiles by the keys in which God entrusted Peter with. Moses wasn't even able to bury one man in the sand out of the will of God, but buried a whole army in the ocean in the will of God. Those statements really make me think about how important the will of God is. We have an expected end, and we know what's going to come out of this, but how do we get to that point? We know Peter died for the cause of the gospel in fulfilling the word of in the in fulfilling the will of God. We experience different things. We experience the sanctification aspect of the will of God. What's next? Romans 3:28 says we're justified by our faith. Justification is a process in which we're made righteous or just in the eyes of God. We all want justification. I, I want justification for my actions sometimes, but I don't deserve it. <coughs> Pursuing action and fulfilling that in which God has called us to do by the faith being instilled in us is what continues the process of justification. If it's what we do that doesn't matter, why would we be judged upon every word that comes out of our mouth? Uh, you know, that doctrine kind of confuses me that we're only justified by faith and just believing in that alone. That's not Bible. Matthew 25, 14 through 30 says, For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country <coughs> who called on his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and another two, and another one. But to every man according to his several ability, 
the straight way took his journey. And then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained another two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So that he had received five talents, came and brought out uh, uh, other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents, and I've gained another five. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had uh, received two talents came and said, Lord, you gave me two talents. Behold, I have brought you another two. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler of all things and over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sowed, and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and I went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there was, lo, there hast is, that is thine. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my, count, my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto them which had the ten talents. For unto everyone that hath, uh, hath uh, every, for everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. <coughs> but from him that hath not, shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast thee the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If it doesn't matter what we do, why would Jesus give this parable? We have to take the two talents that God's given us and fulfill those in our lives, which is making disciples and preaching the gospel to seek that which is lost. God's given us all that ability. If you have the Holy Ghost, (coughs) you have that very ability today to reconcile the world unto God. That's awesome. I'm grateful for that promise. And pursuing the will of God in our lives restores that very burning sensation that we receive when we first get converted. This time it's not infatuation, but it's agape love, sacrificial love for the things and for the kingdom of God. And as we continue that process of justification, as we're in the will of God, 
There's going to be things that rise against us. We're going to be suffer. We're going to suffer for his sake. We're going to suffer upon God's behalf on this earth, just as he did. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ that not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 2.11-21 in the Passion Translation says, My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that rage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, <coughs> even though they accuse you of being evil doers. For they will see your beautiful works and have reason to glorify God in the day that he visits us. In order to honor the Lord, you must respect and defer to the authority of every human institution, whether it be the highest ruler of the governors that he puts in place to punish lawbreakers and to praise those <coughs> who's doing right. For it is God's will for you to be silenced, for you to silence the ignorance of the foolish people by doing what is right. As God's loving servants, you shall be in complete freedom but never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Recognize the value of every person and continually show love to every believer. Live your lives with great reverence and holy awe of God. Honor your rulers, <coughs> those are in, who are servants. Submit to the authority of those who are your masters, not only to those who are kind and gentle, but even to those who are hard and difficult. You find God's favor by deciding to please God even when you endure hardships because of unjust suffering. For what merit is it to endure mistreatment for wrongdoing? Yet, if you are mistreated when you do what is right, you faithfully endure it. This is commendable before God, and in fact, you were called to live this way because Christ also suffered in your place, leaving you his example for you to follow. There's going to be a day <coughs> in the will of God when we're going to suffer. For his sake. There's going to be people at work who don't like you. There's going to be people at work who bear false witness. There's going to be people in your mission field or in this town who don't like us. But what's our reaction? Are we going to react in the will of God or are we going to react in our own will? Reacting in the will of God, the scripture we just read told me that we do the right thing. We do the good thing. And that is our witness. We don't have to sit and argue with these people. It's just a waste of time. We're casting pearls before swine. The very thing we look forward to in this journey and in and, and life as a disciple of Christ is glorification. And that is the last step in the will of God for our lives. Glorification is the last step. Jesus promises us that someday we'll be caught up into the clouds to be with him for eternity. <coughs> I want to be there. I'll do anything it takes to get there. And if that's me crucifying what I want to do, if that's me crucifying my will, my way, 
to get there, I'm going to do it. Not for my sake, but for other people's sake. And to get to that very place which Jesus has promised us, we have to fulfill the will of God in our lives. What happened to the guy who didn't share his talent? He's spending eternity in, in damnation. There's people who teach a lot of different doctrines on our actions and the things that we do, <coughs> how it doesn't affect God's plan. But let me tell you this, if a guy hiding his talent can affect his eternal damnation, you sure bet you that my decisions affect my outcome. But what a privilege God would call us to do his work and what an honor God gives us to fulfill his plan that he established in the beginning, that he established in creation. Praise God. <coughs> Sanctification, justification, and glorification are the very things that we need to fulfill to fulfill the will of God in our lives. Sanctification is, is the very thing that allows us to get to a place where we can be justified for our actions. Crucifying our flesh, crucifying our will, crucifying our plans and our desires. Sanctifying us to be able to be justified for our actions by our faith. By expressing our faith in our actions. Loving on people. Witnessing to people. Teaching Bible studies. <coughs> whatever God has called you to do. But these are the things that we do between today and heaven. You have to be a part of the kingdom of God before this stuff can even take place. Praise God. Why don't we stand? The will of God is something that we all have to look forward to. The will of God is something that we all have to fulfill. <coughs> it's not easy sometimes, folks. The will of God is sometimes the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. But my viewpoint, my paradigm, and my lens upon which I serve God is the difference. When we have the Holy Ghost, we have the power to be witnesses unto, unto him forever. But are we going to hide the power? Are we going to hide the ability to live for God? Are we, going to, are we going to hide the talents that God's given us? Because let me ask you this question. What do we do once we're, once we're sanctified and, and doing all these right things and God's changed our life? God's going to give you something to do. God's going to give you a purpose. God's going to give you something to do on this planet. God might be calling you to be a youth pastor. God might be calling you to, to switch your job because you need to talk to people more. <coughs> God may be calling you to start a Bible study. But whatever it is that God has called you to do, just do it. Just do it. It's not about the, the logistics. It's not about this or that. But it's about pleasing God.
It's about fulfilling what God has called you to do. And every single soul in this place, God is going to give you something to do. How do we get there? Living a holy life. Doing whatever we can to please God. Following the instructions of the word of God. <coughs> living in joy. Living in happiness and doing it with the thought and the intent that it's not for us. But I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That is the whole point. And what's the reward? I get to spend an eternity with, with the man who did the same thing for me. So me and my selfishness, I should be able to do the same thing. But I can't do that without power. I can't do that without, I can't do that in my own will. It's literally impossible. Because when you're born in sin, you are born in sin. And you're guilty of it the minute you're born. But until the day that we become born again is the day that we have the power to start and establish and for God to start changing things in our life for us to live for his glory, for his power, <coughs> not upon our might or our power anymore, but by the spirit of God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The scripture really takes this whole sermon and puts it into one little section. We have to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto him. Why? He did the same thing for us. <coughs> we follow that by death. Repentance is the very thing that we do. We have to follow after him in his death. Being buried in, with him in water and baptism. And just as Jesus Christ rose three days later, we have to raise, be raised incorruptible someday. But the only way we do that is by receiving the Holy Ghost. What does Acts 1-8 say again? Figuratively witness. We witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by somebody sharing that with you. That's how we become a witness of it. But there's going to be a day, as Revelation says, that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And that word testimony is there is knowing, being able to hold it up in a court of law that you've witnessed the blood, that you've witnessed this very thing, but that it can change our lives for us. It's not a figurative but that we experience it ourselves. And that we, we can share that testimony with somebody else because what are the two things that we preach? Christ crucified and that's it in our testimony. And that's what we overcome by. 
Isn't that beautiful? Why don't we lift our hands? <coughs> There's somebody in this place who needed to hear this word today and know it. And for those who don't think it was for them, it was for you in some way, some aspect. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose. God is reaching to somebody in this place who has been struggling, who has been hurt, who doesn't know what to do anymore. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. They received the Holy Ghost. But they, they ask the question, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Why is there no change happening? You have to follow after the will of God. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's not fun. And I'm just being honest. But your perspective has to change, and that's what has to change today. And how does our perspective change? In true repentance. True repentance changes you. <coughs> and God changes you from the inside out and sanctifies you by making that decision that we need to change. Praise God. So whoever needs to come in the front, I would suggest everybody come to the front. Because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs to fulfill the will of God in their life. And there's going to be a day where we don't have the opportunity to do this. But I'm giving you the opportunity today by the power and the might of the Holy Ghost to change today. In Jesus' name.